Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of NIMFED Alumni. This is Sam. I'm here with Biz and Alexi. And today we have a really special episode planned for you guys. It's kind of going to be a two-pronged endeavor, which we poured our hearts into the research and the production of this behemoth that we now have to face and overcome. Um, <laughs> we Later in the episode, we will have an exclusive interview with none other than Kai Newman of the Emergency Intercom podcast. We just finished recording that interview and it went super well. We're super excited for you guys to hear it. Kai was giving Megamind with his big brained and educated takes on being a Los Angelino. Um, <laughs> and- How did you say that? I just think of like Smithers from The Simpsons. So I've like never heard anyone say it in real life. <laughs> Angelino. Yeah, I've been addicted to saying that. Um, So if you guys haven't guessed, we're doing an episode on Los Angeles, the city, its vibes, whether or not it's returning as a dominant fixture in popular culture, in fashion, and in the lives of Americans across the world. Um, Yeah, it's it's a big topic. None of us live in Los Angeles, of course. Uh, we only have encountered it for brief moments. So we did a, a lot of research in hopes of encapsulating this vibe. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything you want to add? Yeah, I just want to say that I don't know if this is like, this is really a big intellectual endeavor for us. Like we did so much research, but it's because it's like a topic that we feel like requires that from us. But also we do sense in our trend forecastress minds that there is going to be metaphysical return to Los Angeles in terms of what is what city is culturally dominating globally in America because I feel like it kind of wanes back and forth between New York and LA and I think we're entering a major LA period and I guess we'll talk about that but um yeah we're also excited to talk about this one in the discord because I feel like there are people there who like live in LA and can speak (laughs) to it um I think the past like four or five years have been really New York heavy just because like New York during the pandemic experienced this boom of cultural production or just, I don't know, I think the media industry is also kind of headquartered here. And so like the people that are writing think pieces and the people who are creating thoughts are maybe like somewhat overrepresented here. But, you know, the whole downtown scene, Dime Square and its associated discontents musically, audio-wise, <laughs> podcasts like Red Scare, um, like fashion. I think it's just all been really New York heavy. But yeah, LA, we, we kind of like you. <laughs> yeah, we're. I think something that's really struck me about the inching towards Los Angeles, I think that we're kind of entering a really unserious time. Like, I think we are putting an emphasis on fantasy as a culture a lot more now than we have in the past. We kind of talked about this a bit in the Theater Kid episode about how movies in Hollywood have seemed to be more culturally relevant than they have in the past. Whereas I think in New York, like nonfiction, intellectualism, very serious undertakings seem to come out of that city specifically. And I think people were more interested in that for a while. And we're kind of experiencing a realism fatigue. This return to fantasy and to fiction, I think, is indicating that we're kind of going to start 
having a preference culturally for Los Angeles. Yeah, I think it's also a matter of like subculture fatigue. Like New York has always been so subcultural. I feel like there are a lot of eyes on it just in terms of figuring out like, you know, where things are headed next or like the trickle up of trends and attitudes. But I think we're like over subculture and now we're just like into culture, culture and are experiencing like a wave of poptimism a little bit and a return to you know, interest in celebrity, but it seems to be like with a new kind of critical lens, but not in like the annoying think PC way, just in like a self-aware way. I would like to surface some other geographical news, which is, um, I guess, related to people making exoduses from the New York cultural landscape. I think obviously everyone, there's always this conversation about who can make it in New York, how inhospitable it is to artists and creative people. But I think last week or the week before, there was an article in the New York Times about the designer Carly of the, I would say, fairly successful independent um, New York brand Puppets and Puppets, who is closing down her, her brand and moving to London, not Los Angeles. But there was within the piece a kind of statement about how inhospitable New York is right now as an independent creative person. And obviously Los Angeles is difficult to navigate as well, but I guess it indicates that people are looking for different places to set up shop and to, I guess, create creative communities and creative work. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like between the two cities, LA is a lot more hospitable than New York for older people. Like Mm -hmm. I think New York is very much built for people who are young whippersnappers with endless energy and love to have sort of like very dynamic and fast moving lifestyles. But that does, it can get tiring pretty quickly, I assume. And I think that's kind of like a classic shift, right? Where it's like, I'm going to go to LA because things move slower there. You have more room, you have more space. I think car-based cities, as much as there's hatred surrounding car-based cities, I have a defense to level against them where it does feel like you have a lot more freedom where you can just leave at will whenever you want and drive for hours and hours and hours. And it does feel like you have a lot more like independence and it feels like you really own something when you own a car, which as we know now in the modern day, it's very difficult to own things like property. But yeah, I think generally when we were thinking about LA, we really wanted to start by like kind of understanding what that city even is because it does stand very distinctly apart from a traditional city like Chicago or New York. Do you guys have any thoughts on like what makes LA so distinctly different as a major city on the global stage? I think LA right now is so distinct because of its associations with influencer culture. Like I just don't think there's like another city that we can tie to the boom of social media based careers. And yeah, I think that's probably like that's a more recent change. But right now that really stinks sticks out to me yeah also on a on a more historical side of things I feel like just the west coast generally and we talked about this in our interview with Kai like it just feels a lot more modern like I think New York and like coastal cities on the east coast even Chicago feel like they still have this connection to like the old world and to I guess more like continental ways of life but LA just feels so distinctively American but also has like this very interesting multiculturalism to it and also it's just like such an object of fantasy and like so overrepresented in film and yeah I think everyone just has this like idea of it and the conflict between like the expectations versus reality and the fantasy versus the realism of it is 
really fascinating. I really liked this book that I skimmed briefly, uh, recommended to me by my friend Ryan. Thank you so much for that rec. It's called City of Courts by Mike Davis. And he sort of talks about how Los Angeles isn't really like a city. It's more of a commodity. Like it's something that to be sold and advertised to people like an automobile or like a cigarette or a mouthwash or something. It's not necessarily like a place to be experienced. And in my brief interaction with LA, which happened last summer, I very much felt this. Like it felt very shocking to me when I first arrived because it felt very unharmonious. Like it felt very much like a city of cities where each neighborhood seemed to have its own downtown, its own mall. Um, But none of it felt like holistically beautiful. Like it has really gorgeous architecture, really gorgeous little pockets of things, but it's still really patchwork. Um, And it all feels really accidental. Whereas like I would compare New York or Chicago to like a living, breathing organism. And that's what kind of makes these cities beautiful. But LA feels very much like a Frankenstein where the random neighborhoods and random beautiful buildings are all kind of mishmashed together and sewn together. And it feels like that makes a lot of sense when you consider that the city was built to be pictured and not necessarily experienced. You know what I mean? Like it feels very paradoxical. None of it makes any sense. Like the weather being consistent year round, it could be flowers blooming in December. You can look to your left and there's a snowy mountain. You can look to your right. There's a beach. You can look to the other side and see a desert and then a tropical green jungle. You know, it just feels very unharmonious and choppy as a city you know another side of the paradox is like the times that I got like postcard picture perfect view of LA and was like oh my god this is it I'm in LA we're never when I was like actually in it it was just at some kind of panoramic site from like Mm -hmm. I don't know a mountain and then I was like wow this is really LA and I'm like is it I'm kind of like on the side of the road um yeah when you're actually in it it's like a little bit creepy and then when you like hit these like checkpoints that are like LA they're so fleeting and they like really sneak up on you yeah but stan LA I don't know like I was in LA at the beginning of this year and I was like oh my god I need to move here <laughs> like this is the pace of life is different the vibes are different but I think we should talk about we can get into like the kind of like cultural stuff because we have a lot of stuff to cover one prevailing image of LA that I think we're really interested in is the like LA noir 90s erotic thriller sexual <laughs> dark side of LA that is like a perpetual human interest angle. Obviously, LA is like the epicenter of the adult entertainment industry. There are a few reasons why this happened, um, but the co-founder of AVN said in this like interview that I'll link that uh, the adult industry gravitated to the San Fernando Valley because of low rents and access to the mainstream movie business. So they had like this trickle of people who were like already cinematographers, already directors, like already working in the film industry who they would like poach to work in porn. And as mainstream movie production in LA dwindled around 2000, because it was like getting really expensive to actually shoot in the US and shoot in LA, the demand for internet porn at the same time was sending production into overdrive for that. There was also like kind of open prostitution in areas like Figueroa Street. It also seems like with the rise of, I guess, independent production of porn and social media fame, like a lot of OnlyFans creators will move to LA to collaborate with each other in this like content house type of way. Do you guys have any thoughts on like this, like the interest in this? It also seems kind of like related to the like Y2K Playboy fantasy. 
Well, I think my thoughts on this are more related to just the general noir darkness associated with California as a whole. To quote that book I was talking about, there's this like really great quote that I found this morning. He says, the complex corpus we call noir, literary and cinematic, is a fantastic convergence of American tough guy realism, Weimar expressionism, and existentialized Marxism. I'll focus on unmasking a bright, guilty place called Los Angeles. Los Angeles in this instance is, of course, a stand-in for capitalism in general. The ultimate world historical significance and oddity of Los Angeles is that it has come to play the double role of utopia and dystopia for advanced capitalism. The same place, as Brecht noted, symbolized both heaven and hell. And so I just feel like that paradoxical nature that Los Angeles embodies and that sort of patchwork identity does make people want to like unearth something darker. Like I think people tire of the constant sort of cognitive dissonance of experiencing hardship and there being like a lot of like wealth inequality in LA. It kind of has always represented this place where people just kind of want to like unearth the dark underbelly of what looms beneath all of the glitz and the glamour and the unhuman sheen of perfection. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's really real. I think that's also like a part of the big thing with LA is that it seems to epitomize the best and the worst of American culture and like the big associations with it. Like on the positive side, there's this cultural influence, glamour, beautiful scenery, beautiful people, the promise of fame and leisure. But on the negative side, it's also like, you know, wealth disparity, the shallowness, the smog <laughs> and the like isolation. Yeah. And I feel like that's also why it's been kind of at the center of the culture war maybe in the past like few years is because, yeah, I don't know. It, it also just gives like dark side of Hollywood, Hollywood elites, kind of weird conspiracy stuff. Yeah. It seems like people are just obsessed with like when there's something that seems too good to be true, just being like, there's actually something really dark and evil going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that it feels like definitely in 2020, the culture war was our you know, reaction against something was really happening around like LA because of the rise of TikTokers and their content houses. But now I think people have kind of fatigued of that. And now that criticism has shifted back to New York mm -hmm. with a different subject, with it being like the, the downtown scene more so. But I feel like I don't even see people like railing on influence or hype houses anymore. The one thing I see a lot of is though, is still is like criticism of the the body ideals coming out of LA. Mm -hmm. So like editing, I don't even think I see like the Kardashians getting criticized that much anymore, right? No, yeah. It seems, I was thinking about this and we can get into it more with when we start talking about like tabloid resurgence, yeah. but it does feel like celebrity body studies, like informally as I would like to dub them, <laughs> have returned with like a kind of vengeance where... People are no longer not no longer participating in more body positivity discourse. They are really interested in getting really like scientific about all of the surgery that people have gotten done, doing comparisons of before and afters of celebrities, revealing the secrets behind somebody's perfect skin or body, you know, the Pilates routines of so-and-so influencer. Like it just seems like celebrity body studies are have been destigmatized in a really interesting way. Like people are yeah. a lot less defensive of microscopically breaking down the body of a celebrity than they once were, I think, you know? I think mm -hmm. just like before it was really real, like tabloid Us Weekly era, I think celebrity bodies were a reflection of that person's like 
life status, you know, like it was just really publicized if someone had gained weight or if someone was looking like skinny and strung out, it was like, what's going on with her? But now I think there's just like more honesty and transparency about like, okay, this person like just got their body done. And it's like the product of like a team of people who are working on this person's image and not so much this is like a reflection of the state of their life. Um, I think it's also like part of the realism fatigue, I think also has something to do with indulging more libidinal, like emotional, like base impulses when it comes to your media consumption, where like, if you're kind of taking a more cerebral bet in consuming celebrity content, I think you're a little bit more skeptical of people who are like breaking down like how someone got their body done. And like, maybe that's too lowbrow of like a discourse for you to participate in. But like, it satisfies like a part of your brain that's like not intellectual, you know, whenever you're like, watching a TikTok of somebody that's like breaking down every single plastic surgery procedure that a celebrity got done, you know, I think we're just kind of like getting more in touch with that part of ourselves. And maybe we were before, you know, I think that people are just starting to be more honest about like you said, like their base desires and like first thoughts. But this also seems to be that conflict with the rise of just like mental health, empathy, think influencing. So I think like when we see people's bodies and have thoughts about them, we're immediately like, there have just been so many years of just like, it's not okay to comment on people's bodies. But I think that is like starting to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's also because it's taking such a different tone than tabloids. Yeah. Like it almost has the same tone. It's either kind of like clinical or it has like the same tone as like an Illuminati awareness post <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> these girls like, you know, here's the truth about this person's body or something like that. Versus in the past, obviously, like, with what we were saying about tabloids being a really prehistoric version of doing that, it was so judgmental. Um, yeah. And so, a bitchy tone of voice, and now they've added a new tone of voice to it. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely equalized out, because there was a time where I think it was overcorrected into being, like, being a celebrity is hard, and, like, we should... Mm-hmm. never Madison say anything about them yeah wait <laughs> yeah I think it was when like influencers started like crying on their stories but then, yeah that made us stop feeling bad for them I think um <laughs> so I yeah. think we've reached a good maybe not good but a, a better equilibrium about that type of stuff yeah definitely watch this space it'll be interesting to see how proceeds well I was actually gonna ask you Alexis you talked about like direct to consumer tabloid media yeah yeah that that I feel like is really yeah I think the reason why there was such like an overcorrection after like the Y2K paparazzi era is because that seemed particularly evil because it was coming from like publishing empire and like actually in the physical space of the grocery store like calling people fat you know (laughs) um and it just felt really intrusive and kind of anonymous like we didn't really know where it was coming from and I think because there were no like real human voices attached it gave them a lot more like leeway to say fucked up stuff but now we have these like direct-to-consumer paparazzi entities like the Hollywood Fix who blew up with coverage of Gen Z influencers like Bryce Hall, Emma Chamberlain, Addison Addison Rae, the hype house era of people because I think they were just like chasing the demand of people in LA who were not traditional celebrities that like normal paps would follow around but just like these kids who moved there also there are these accounts like pop craves that are like the new us weekly there also seem to be a lot of these pop culture obsessed podcasters and tiktok accounts that recap and react to everything in the sphere and i think more than ever consumers of this type of stuff are way more conscious about how publicity and the hollywood machine works on them to the point where i think it's getting kind of like conspiratorial when a bunch of the kardashians Mm -hmm. lost weight and like started taking out their bbls and stuff they were like their team is doing like a concerted effort to like create this image. And this is what it says about society and stuff. There's this account called Girl Boss Town, for example, that does like PR yes. predictions and like 
here's what mm-hmm. I would do if I was on X's team or like does rebrand concepts and says stuff about like, here's why if I were Addison Ray, I would make a coloring book or something like that. And I think people really like now everyone thinks that they're like an agent or something <laughs> like, yeah. but it's also, yeah, I think everyone feels like an expert in social media and in media in general. Mm-hmm. That's really true. Yeah. There's also like, I, I really found the return of like, blind items or the kind of renaissance of Dumois, yeah. blind items being like such a such a popular form of content production is really interesting to me. Thank you so much for listening to this sneak preview. I'm Mario Lopez. To hear the full episode plus an exclusive interview with Kai Newman of the Emergency Intercom Podcast, subscribe to the Nymphit Alumni Patreon and join in on the fun. See you on the other side.